The Lotus Sutra Preface The present volume offers an English translation of the Lotus Sutra and of two short sutras, the Immeasurable Meaning Sutra and the Sutra on How to Practice Meditation on Bodhisattva Universal Worthy that have traditionally been regarded as the opening and closing sutras for the Lotus. The Lotus Sutra translation done by Burton Watson, renowned translator of many works of classical Chinese and Japanese literature, was originally published in 1993 by Columbia University Press. It appears here in slightly revised form. The translations of the other two accompanying sutras, also by Burton Watson, appear here for the first time. All the translations conform to the Chinese texts of these sutras as they appear in Myoho Renge Kyo Narabini Kyetsu, the Lotus Sutra of the Wonderful Law and its opening and closing sutras, published in 2002 by Soka Gaki. Tian Tai, 538-597, or Zi Yi, founder of the Tan Tai school of Buddhism in China, considered the three sutras a single unit thus establishing the tradition in which they have been called over the centuries the Threefold Lotus Sutra. Nichiren, 1222-1282, the Japanese Buddhist scholar-monk whose teachings the Soka Gakkai practices also held this view. The Myoho-renge-kyo Nerbini-ketsu is based upon the text of the three sutras that Nichiren used to instruct his disciples and write his own works called the Chu Hyokyo, or the Annotated Lotus Sutra. It includes related passages from the works of Tian Tai and other scholar monks that Nichiren noted down for his own reference. With regard to the two short sutras, a few remarks may be in order. According to the Chinese records, the Immeasurable Meaning Sutra was translated into Chinese in 481 by the Harma Gaya Yashas, a monk from central India. <clears throat> we have no knowledge of what language the Harma Yashas translated the sutra from, and some scholars now suggest that it may actually have been from first composed in Chinese. The sutra, made up of three chapters, describes Shakyamuni Buddha preaching on Eagle Peak, chapter one entitled Virtuous Practices praises the Buddha and his various characteristics. Chapter 2, Preaching the Law, explains that all of the teachings and their immeasurable meanings derive from a single law, and that those teachings preached during the first 40 years and more of the Buddha's teaching life do not reveal the truth. Chapter 3, Ten Benefits, describes the benefits that practitioners of the sutra will gain. The Immeasurable Meaning Sutra clearly states what the Buddha said about his earlier teachings. In these more than 40 years, I have not yet revealed the truth. Therefore, the ways they, living beings, gained were not uniform, but differed in different cases. And they have not been able to quickly attain the unsurpassed enlightenment. The Lotus Sutra similarly states, the world-honored one has long expounded his doctrines and now must reveal the truth. These passages are jointly taken to mean that the Immeasurable Meaning Sutra is preparing the way 
for the preaching of the lotus, and that in the lotus the Buddha will reveal the truth for the first time. The Immeasurable Meaning Sutra also explains why the Buddha preached different teachings before revealing the truth. It says, Because such natures and desires of living beings are immeasurable in variety, the ways of preaching the law are also immeasurable. And because the ways of preaching the law are immeasurable, its meanings are likewise immeasurable. These immeasurable meanings are born from a single law, and this law is without aspect. What is without aspect is devoid of aspect and does not take on aspect. Not taking on aspect, being without aspect, is called the true aspect. In another, in another link between the two sutras, this true aspect is fully set forth as the true aspect of all phenomena in the lotus. Nishirin, who further clarifies the immeasurable meanings, also as also signifying the three vehicles, cites the following lotus passage in explanation. The Buddhas, utilizing the power of expedient means, apply distinctions to the one Buddha vehicle and preach as though it were three. Nishirin states that the three vehicles, or immeasurable meanings, are preached to lead the way to the revelation in the lotus of the one vehicle teaching, and he concludes, Thus, immeasurable meaning sutra serves as a preparation for the lotus sutra, the record of the orally transmitted teachings, Tokyo, Sokagaki, 2004. The Universal Worthy Sutra, according to the Chinese records, was translated into Chinese in the early 5th century by Dharma Mitra, an Indian monk. <clears throat> the sutra begins with this passage, predicting the passing of Shakyamuni Buddha. At one time, when the Buddha was in double-storied hall at the great forest monastery in Vaishali, he announced to the monks, Three months from now I will enter Pari Nirvana. Because of this announcement, and because of the central figure of the sutra, Buddhasattva Universal Worthy is also the central figure of the final chapter of the Lotus Sutra, chapter 28, Encouragements of the Buddhasattva Universal Worthy. The sutra is viewed as naturally following the Lotus. The sutra can be divided into three sections of preparation, revelation, and transmission. The preparatory section presents a question posed by Ananda one of the Buddha's major disciples, and others. How, without cutting off earthly desires or separating themselves from the five desires, can they, living beings, purify their senses and wipe away their offenses? The Revelation section offers the answer, which may be summarized in the following verse passage. If one wishes to carry out repentance, sit upright and ponder the true aspect. Then, the host of sins, like frost or dew, can be wiped out by the sun of wisdom. <clears throat> the Sutra explains that when one ponders the true aspect that is revealed in the Lotus Sutra, one is able to purify one's six senses, see Buddhasattva's universal worthy, and attain the Buddha body. The transmission section offers these words of Shakyamuni Buddha. In future ages, if there are people who practice and carry out the method of repentance as it has been described, before long they will succeed in attaining supreme, perfect enlightenment. It also says, and because he recites and studies the great vehicle broad and impartial sutra, 
Immediately in a dream he will see Shakyamuni Buddha and the members of the great assembly on Mount Ridharakuda, Eagle Peak. The Buddha preaching the Lotus Sutra and expounding the principle of the single truth. It further refers to the emanations of Shakyamuni Buddha as preaching the wonderful law as set forth in the Lotus. Because of such passages as these, which further reinforce the message in the Lotus, the Universal Worthy Sutra has long been regarded as the concluding or closing sutra to the Lotus. Thus, we have presented these three sutras together in the form of opening, main, and closing sutras. Soka Gaki Publications Committee, January 26, 2009 The Immeasurable Meaning Sutra 1. Virtuous Practices This is what I heard. At one time the Buddha was in Raja Garapa, staying at Mount Gridharakuda. Accompanying him were a multitude of leading monks, numbering 12,000 persons. Also accompanying him were 80,000 Buddhasattvas, Mahasattva, heavenly beings, dragons, yakshas, ganhavras, Asuras, Garudas, Kimnaras, and Maharagas, and various monks, nuns, laymen, and laywomen, great wheel-turning kings, petty wheel-turning kings, kings of the gold wheel, silver wheel, and other kinds of wheels, kings of states, princes, ministers, subjects, gentlemen and ladies of the state, and rich men of the state, all with followers numbering in the hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, surrounding them, came to the place where the Buddha was, bowed in obsolescence before his feet, and circled around him a hundred thousand times, burning incense, scattering flowers, and offering various kinds of alms. This done, they retired to one side and sat down. The names of the Buddhasattvas were Dharma Prince Manjushri, Dharma Prince Great Dignity and Virtue Storehouse, Dharma Prince Without Worry Storehouse, Dharma Prince Great Eloquence Storehouse, Buddhasattva Maitreya, Buddhasattva Guiding Head, Buddhasattva Medicine King, Buddhasattva Medicine Superior, Buddhasattva Flower Banner, and many other names which I will not read. 80,000 Buddhasattvas, Mahasattva, such as these accompanied the Buddha. They were none of these bodhisattvas who were not great men in their dharma bodies. They were accomplished in matters pertaining to the precepts, meditation, wisdom, emancipation, and the insight of emancipation. Their minds, concentrated and stilled, were at all times in a state of samadhi. They were tranquil and unperturbed, without action, without desire, and no topsy-turvy or confused thoughts could ever reach them. Placid and still, clean and pure. Their will was dark, empty, and vast. They maintained this state, unmoving for a million hundred thousand kalpas. Immeasurable doctrines were all manifest before them. They had acquired great wisdom, had fully understood all phenomena, perceived and distinguished the truth regarding natures and characteristics, and displayed absolute clarity concerning being and non-being long and short. They were also skilled in understanding various capacities, natures, and desires, and employing 
the Haranis, and unimpeded eloquence, and following in the wake of Buddhas who had turned the wheel of the law, they too skillfully turned it. First, they sprinkled tiny drops, wetting down the dust of desire. They opened the gates of nirvana and fanned the wind of emancipation, dispelling the heat of worldly cares and letting the clear coolness of the law. Next, they dispensed the profound teachings of the twelve-linked chain of causation, using them to douse the burning rays of compounded suffering, the raging fires of ignorance, aging, sickness, and death. Then they poured forth in abundance the unsurpassed great vehicle to moisten and enrich the good roots possessed by living beings. They sowed the seeds of goodness, spreading them throughout the fields of merit, making it possible for all beings everywhere to put forth the sprouts of enlightenment. The sun and moon of their wisdom, the seasons of their expedient means, support and promote the undertaking of the great vehicle, causing the multitude quickly to attain supreme perfect enlightenment. These bodhisattvas dwelled constantly in the ease of joy of a subtle and wonderful truth, and in their immeasurably great compassion rescued living beings from suffering. For living beings, these were true good friends. For living beings, these were great fields of good fortune. For living beings, they were teachers who arrived unsummoned. For living beings, they were places of tranquility and joy, saviors, guardians, places of great refuge and repose. In one place after another, for the sake of living beings, they acted as great and good guides and teachers, as great guides and teachers. Because living beings are blind, they know how to act as eyes for them. For the deaf, the noseless, the dumb, they acted as ears, nose, and tongue. Where capacities were lacking or defective, they knew how to supply and mend them. Where there was disorder, chaos, and confusion, they brought the great remedy of correct thought. They were helmsmen, great helmsmen ferrying the many beings over the river of birth and death until they reached the shore of nirvana. They were master physicians, great master physicians, distinguishing the marks of illness, understanding the nature of medicines, applying the medicine that was appropriate to the disease, dispensing medication to the multitude. They were trainers, great trainers, curbing all wild and eccentric behavior, they were like trainers of elephants or horses, able to train them till none were untrained. They had the brave fierceness of a lion, which overawes all the other beasts and is scarcely to be challenged. They diverted themselves with the par paramitas of the bodhisattvas and stood firm and unmoving in the ground of thus come one. They abided secure in the power of their vows, purified the Buddha lands far and wide, and before long will succeed in gaining supreme perfect enlightenment. These bodhisattvas, Mahasattva, all possessed inconceivable virtues such as these. <clears throat> the names of the monks were Great Wisdom, Chariputra, Transcendental Power, Mangalyayana, Life of Wisdom, Sabutiti, Makayata Yanayana, Purna, son of Maitrayayani, Ajanata, 
Kaundinya, Heavenly Eye, Arnudya, Keeper of the Precepts, Upali, Attendant, Ananda, Rahula, Son of the Buddha, Upananda, Ravata, Kapahina, Bakula, Chona, Savagata, Duda, Great Kashyapa, Uruvila Kashyapa, Gaya Kashyapa, and Nadi Kashyapa, twelve thousand monks such as these, all were ashrats, arhats, who had exhausted all ties and outflows, and had no further bonds or attachments, having attained true and correct emancipation. At that time, the Buddhisattva Mahasattva, a great adornment, gazing all ground at the seated multitude and seeing that each member of the group had time to compose his mind, accompanied by the others of the 80,000 Buddhisattvas Mahasattva in the assembly, rose from his seat and proceeded to where the Buddha was. They bowed their heads to the ground in, in obeisance, obeisance, before the Buddha's feet, and circled around him a hundred thousand times, burning heavenly incense and scattering heavenly flowers, heavenly robes, heavenly necklaces, and priceless heavenly jewels and gems over him. These revolved in the midst of the sky and drifted down on four sides in cloud-like masses and offering to the Buddha. Heavenly bowls and vessels from heavenly kitchens brimmed and overflowed with a hundred heavenly flavors. Just observing their forms and smelling their aroma was enough to make one feel naturally satisfied. Heavenly banners and heavenly streamers, heavenly canopies, wonderful heavenly playthings were ranged here and there. And heavenly instruments played music for the amusement and pleasure of the Buddha. Then the Buddhisattvas advancing, kneeling on one knee, and pressing their palms together, single-mindedly joined their voices together in speaking these verses of praise. Great indeed, great sage lord of great enlightenment, without defilement, without stain, without attachment, trainer of heavenly and human beings, elephants and horses, scenting all with the wind of the way, the incense of virtue, calm in wisdom, vast in feeling, still and concentrated in thought, will extinguished, conscientious gone, consciousness gone, mind tranquil, eternally cut off from the dreamlike diluted thoughts and ponderings, no more elements, components, sense fields, or realms, his body neither existing nor not existing, neither cause nor condition, neither self nor other, neither square nor round, neither short nor long, neither appearing nor disappearing, neither born nor extinguished, neither created nor arising, neither acted nor made, neither sitting nor lying down, neither walking nor standing, neither moving nor turning, neither idle nor still, neither advancing nor retreating, neither in safety nor danger, neither right nor wrong, neither gaining nor losing, neither that nor this, neither departing nor coming, neither blue nor yellow, neither red or white, neither crimson nor purple or any other sort of color, Born in precepts, meditation, wisdom, emancipation, insight, setting out from samadhis, six transcendental powers, aids to the way, arising from pity, compassion, the ten powers, fearlessness, emerging, because the good actions of living beings. He displays the sixteen-foot body, 
gleaming like purple gold, trim and upright, shining with great penetrating brilliance, characteristic tuft curled like a moon, sun rays behind his neck, his coiled hair deep blue, a knob of flesh on his crown, pure eyes, bright mirrors gazing up and down, eyebrows and lashes, blue and lengthy, mouth and cheeks shapely, lips and tongue red and comely as crimson flowers, forty white teeth like snowy agate, forehead broad, nose long, and open countenance, breast displaying a fly-flap pattern, lion-chested, hands and feet soft and supple, marked with thousand-spoked wheels, armpits and palms crossed with lines inside and out well-molded, long upper and lower arms, fingers straight and slim, skin delicate and soft, hair curling to the right, ankle bones and knees well exposed, male member hidden like a horse, slim muscles, well-locked bones, deer-like legs, front and back radiant, pure, without defilement, unstained by turbid water, untouched by dust. The 32 features all like this, the 80 characteristics plain to see. Yet in truth there is no form that is with or without features. He is cut off from all eyes that look for feathers. With feathers that are featureless, he bears a featured body, and the features of living beings with their featured bodies are likewise. He can cause living beings to rejoice and do obeisance, to give their hearts to him, show reverence, be diligent, because he has put aside pride and haughtiness. He has achieved a wonderfully formed body such as this. <clears throat> now, we, a multitude of 80,000, have come together to bow our heads, dedicate our lives to one who has distinguished thought, mind, will, and consciousness, trainer of elephants and horses, sage-free of attachments. We bow heads, give ourselves to his dharma body and manifested body, his aggregate of precepts, meditation, wisdom, emancipation, insight. We bow heads, give ourselves to his wonderful characteristics. We bow heads, give ourselves to one difficult to conceive. His Brahma sounds thunder and shake, echoing in eighty varieties, subtle, wonderful, pure, extremely profound and far-reaching. The four noble truths, six paramitas, twelve-linked chain of causation, are set forth, depending on the workings of the minds of living beings. Of those who hear, there are none whose mind is not opened. They cut off the immeasurable entanglements of birth and death. Of those who hear, some reach the stage of stream-winner, of once-returner, non-returner, or arhat, the state of the cause-awakened one, free of outflows, free of action, the Buddhasattva stage, free of birth, free of extinction. <clears throat> some gain immeasurable dharanis, unimpeded delight in preaching, great eloquence, expounding profoundly deep, subtle, and wonderful verses, diverting themselves by bathing in clear channels of the law. Some leap or fly up, display transcendental powers, go in and out of water and fire, their bodies completely free. 
In such manner does the thus come one turn the wheel of the law, pure, unbounded, difficult to conceive. We are moved, and altogether bow our heads, dedicating our lives to the timely turning of the wheel of the law. Bow our heads, dedicate ourselves to the Brahma sounds. Bow our heads, dedicate ourselves to the chain of causation, truths, paramitas. The world-honored one immeasurable kalpas in the past diligently carried out numerous virtuous practices for our sake, human and heavenly beings, dragon kings, for all living beings everywhere. He was willing to discard all things difficult to discard, wealth, riches, wife, child, country, and capital, begrudging nothing inside or outside his dharma, donating all to others. His head, eyes, marrow, and brains. He honored and upheld the pure prohibitions of the Buddhas, never violating them, even though it might cost him his life. <clears throat> though men came with swords and staves to do him harm, with foul mouths cursed and insulted him, he never showed anger. For successive kalpas he sacrificed his body, never shaking. Day and night, disciplined in mind, in constant meditation, he studied all the various ways and doctrines. In his profound wisdom, penetrated the capacities of living beings. For this reason now, he can exercise his powers freely, free in command of the law, the king of the law. We are moved, and all together bow our heads, dedicating ourselves to the one who has accomplished what is hard to accomplish. The Immeasurable Meaning Sutra Part 2, Chapter 2, Preaching the Law At that time, the Buddhasattva Mahasattva Great Adornment and the others of the 80,000 Buddhasattvas Mahasattva, having spoken these verses in the praise of the Buddha, all together addressed the Buddha, saying, World Honored One, we, this multitude of 80,000 Buddhasattvas, <clears throat> now desire to pose some questions regarding the law of thus of the thus come one. We wonder, the world-honored one will be kind enough to listen? The Buddha said to the Buddhasattva, Great Adornment, and the others of the 80,000 Buddhasattvas, Excellent, excellent, good men. You know when the time is right. Proceed with your questions. Before long, the thus come one will enter Parinirvana, and he wishes to make certain that there will be no more doubts anywhere after he has entered Nirvana. What do you wish to ask about? Now is the time to speak. Buddhasattva, great adornment, and the other of 80,000 Buddhasattvas, speaking in a single voice, then addressed the Buddha, saying, World honored one, if Buddhasattvas, Madhasattva, wish to succeed quickly in the gaining supreme perfect enlightenment, what sort of doctrines should they practice? What sort of doctrines can cause Buddhasattvas, Madhasattva, to succeed quickly in gaining supreme perfect enlightenment? The Buddha said to the Buddhasattva, Great Adornment, and others in the 80,000 Buddhasattvas, Good men, there is a single doctrine that can cause Buddhasattvas to quickly succeed in gaining supreme perfect enlightenment. If Buddhasattvas study this doctrine, they will be able to gain supreme perfect enlightenment. World Honored One, what is the name of this doctrine? What is its meaning? What practices does it prescribe for Buddhasattvas? The Buddha said, Good men, this single doctrine is called the doctrine of immeasurable meanings. 
If Buddhasattvas wish to practice and study these immeasurable meanings, then they should observe and perceive how all phenomena, from the beginning down to the present, are in nature and aspect empty and tranquil, without bigness or littleness, without birth or extinction, not abiding, not moving, neither advancing nor retreating, but like vacant space without any dualism. But living beings in their vain delusions make wild calculations, saying, This is one thing, this is another, this brings gain, that brings loss, and give rise to the thoughts that are not good, carrying out evil acts, transmigrating through the six paths of existence and undergoing sufferings and bitterness for immeasurable millions of kalpas without ever being able to escape. Bodhisattva's Madhisattva, clearly perceiving that this is so, are moved to pity their, in their minds, and inspired by great compassion, wish to rescue these beings from their plight. They should then once more enter deeply into the study of all phenomena. If the aspects of phenomena are such, then such and such phenomena will be born. If the aspects of phenomena are such, then such and such phenomena will abide. If the aspects of phenomena are such, then such and such phenomena will change. If the aspects of phenomena are such, then the such and such phenomena will undergo extinction. If the aspects of phenomena are such, then this can lead to the birth of bad phenomena. If the aspects of phenomena are such, this can lead to the birth of good phenomena. And the same applies in the case of the abiding, changing, and extinction of phenomena. When Buddhasattvas have in this manner observed the beginning and end of these four aspects and have understood them in their entirety, then they will clearly perceive that all phenomena, never abiding from one instant to the next, are constantly being born anew and passing into extinction, and then they will immediately perceive the true aspect of birth, abiding, change, and extinction. Once they have gained this perception, then they must return to the capacities, natures, and desires of living beings, because each nature and desire are immeasurable in variety, the ways of preaching the law are immeasurable, and because the ways of preaching the law are immeasurable, its meanings are likewise immeasurable. These immeasurable meanings are from born from a single law, and this law is without aspect. What is without aspect is devoid of aspect and does not take on aspect. Not taking on aspect, being without aspect, is called the true aspect. When Buddhasattva's Mahasattva rest and abide in the understanding of the true aspect of all phenomena, then the pity and compassion that they put forth will be based on clear understanding and not groundlessness. And they will be true capable of rescuing living beings from the sufferings that they undergo. And once they have rescued from suffering, they will preach the law for them and enable living beings to enjoy ease and delight. Good men, if Buddhasattvas are able to, in this manner, to practice the immeasurable meanings of this all-embracing doctrine, then they are certain to succeed quickly in attaining supreme perfect enlightenment. Good men, this profound, unsurpassed great vehicle, immeasurable meaning sutra, is true and correct in word and principle, worthy of unsurpassed veneration. It is guarded and protected by all the Buddhas in the three existences. There is no devil host, no congregation of non-Buddhist believers who can invade it, nor can it be destroyed by any erroneous views or accidents of birth and death. Therefore, good men, 
If bodhisattvas, manasattva wish to gain unsurpassed enlightenment quickly, they should practice and study this profound, unsurpassed great vehicle, immeasurable meaning sutra. At that time, Bodhisattva Great Adornment addressed the Buddha once more, saying, World Honored One, the law preached by the World Honored One is beyond ordinary comprehension. The capacities of natures of living beings are also beyond ordinary comprehension, and the doctrines and emancipations are likewise beyond ordinary comprehension. Regarding the doctrines that the Buddha has preached to us, we have no more doubts or difficulties. But because confusion and misunderstanding arise in the minds of living beings, we wish to question the world-honored one further. In the forty or more years since the thus-come-one gained the way, he has constantly expounded for the sake of living beings upon the principle of four aspects of phenomena, the principle of suffering, of emptiness, impermanence, no self, no bigness, no littleness, no birth, no extinction, one aspect that is no aspect, the nature of phenomena, the aspect of phenomena, From the beginnings, emptiness and tranquility, neither coming nor going, neither appearing nor disappearing. Those who listened to you were perhaps able to gain the heat stage, the peak stage, or the foremost worldly stage, to attain the stage of dream winner, of the once returner, of the non-returner, or the arhat, to gain the way of the pratyaka Buddha, to conceive a desire for enlightenment, to ascend to the first level, the second level, the third level, and so forth to the tenth level. The principles of these various doctrines that you have expounded upon in past days, how do they differ from those you are expounding now? You say that if Buddhasattvas practice this profound, unsurpassed great vehicle of immeasurable meaning sutra, they are certain to quickly attain unsurpassed enlightenment. Just what does this mean? We beg the world-honored one to have compassion and pity for all, and for the sake of living beings far and wide, to make clear the distinctions, so that all those everywhere in this present existence and in ages to come, when they hear the doctrines, may be free from the net of residual doubt. <clears throat> Thereupon the Buddha said to the Buddha Fasafa, great adornment, Excellent, excellent, you great and good men, you have seen fit to ask thus and come one about the subtle and wonderful meaning of this profound unsurpassed great vehicle. You should understand that by doing so you can benefit many people, assure peace and joy to human and heavenly beings, and rescue living beings from suffering. This is in truth great pity and compassion, and because it is true, it cannot be vain. As a result of this, you will, without fail, quickly attain unsurpassed enlightenment, and you will also make it possible for all living beings in the present age and in ages to come to attain unsurpassed enlightenment. Good men, in the past I sat upright for six years under the Bodhi tree in the place of the enlightenment and was able to gain supreme, perfect enlightenment. With the Buddha eye I observed all phenomena and knew that this enlightenment could not be explained nor described. Why? Because I knew that living beings are not alike in their natures and desires. And because their natures and desires are not alike, I preached the law in various different ways. Preaching the law in various different ways, I made use of the power of expedient means. But in those, but in these mere forty years, I have not yet revealed the truth. Therefore, the ways they gained were not uniform, 
but differed in different cases, and they have not yet been able to quickly attain unsurpassed enlightenment. Good men, the law may be compared to water that can wash away dirt and defilement. A well, a pond, a river, a stream, a brook, a channel, a vast sea, all are capable of washing away all kinds of dirt and defilement. And the water of the law is like this, because it can wash living things, living beings clean of the dirt of earthly desires. Good men, water possesses a single nature, but rivers, streams, wells, ponds, brooks, channels, and vast seas each have their particular differences. The nature of the law is like this too, in its ability to wash away grime and impediment. It is without differentiation, but in its categories of three doctrines, four stages, or two ways, it is not uniform. Good men, although all forms of water can be used for washing, a well is not the same as a pond. A pond is not the same as a river or stream. A brook or channel is not the same as the sea. And as the, as the thus come one, hero of the world, enjoys complete freedom with regard to the law, so the various doctrines that he preaches are like these bodies of water. What he preaches in the beginning, in the middle, and the latter, it is in all cases capable of washing clean the earthly desires of living beings. But what he preaches in the beginning is not the same as what he preaches in the middle, and what he preaches in the middle is not the same as what he preaches later. The beginning, middle, and later preachings are identical in their words and phrases, but each is different in meaning. <clears throat> Good men, when I rose up from under the kingly booty tree, proceeded to Deer Park in Varanasi, and turned the wheel of the law, preaching the four noble truths for Ajnata, Karundia, and the others of the five ascetics, I explained that the various phenomena are from the beginning all empty, tranquil. That they succeed each other without ever abiding. That from one instant to the next, they are born and pass into extinction. During the middle period, both here and in various other places, for the sake of the monks and the host of bodhisattvas, I expounded and set forth the twelve-linked chain of causation and the six paramitas, likewise explaining that the various phenomena are from the beginning all empty and tranquil, that they succeed each other without abiding, and that from instant to instant they are born and pass into extinction. And now, once more, I am here, expounding this great vehicle, Immeasurable Meaning Sutra, again explaining that the various phenomena are from the beginning all empty and tranquil, that they succeed each other without abiding, and that from instant to instant they are born and pass into extinction. Therefore, good men, though in what I preach at the beginning, in the middle, and at a later time the words and phrases are the same, the meaning is quite different. Because the meaning is different, the understanding of living beings is different. And because their understanding is different, the doctrines they gain, the stages they gain, the ways they gain are likewise different. <clears throat> Good men, in the beginning, I preached the four noble truths for the sake of those who visited and who wished to become voice hearers. 
At that time, eight million heavenly beings came down to listen to the law and conceived a desire for enlightenment. In the middle period, in one place and another, I expounded the profound teachings of the twelve-link chain of causation for the sake of those who wish to become Prayatkabuddhas, and immeasurable numbers of living beings conceived the desire for enlightenment or abided at the level of voice-hearers. Then I preached the twelve divisions of the broad and impartial sutras, the teaching of great wisdom, and the flower-garland teaching of the ocean imprint meditation, describing the many kalpas of practice for bodhisattvas, and hundreds and thousands of monks, and ten thousands of millions of human and heavenly beings. Immeasurable living beings were able to attain and abide in the stage of stream-winner, once-returner, non-returner, arhat or pratyatka buddha, or in the doctrine of original causation. Good men, you should understand that in this sense, though my preachings are the same, they differ in their meaning. Because their meaning is different, the understanding of living beings is different. And because their understanding is different, the doctrines they gain, the stages they gain, and the ways they gain are likewise. Therefore, good men, from the time I gained the way and the first began to preach the law down to the present day, when I expound the great vehicle and measurable meaning sutra, I have never failed to preach suffering, emptiness, impermanence, no self, not absolute, not provisional, not big, not little, from the beginning not born, at the present time not passing into extinction, one aspect that is no aspect, the aspect of phenomena, the nature of phenomena, neither coming nor going, living beings shifting from one to another of the four aspects. Good men, for this reason, none of the many Buddhas ever vary in the words they speak. They can use a single sound to respond to all the multitude of voices everywhere. Can use a single body to manifest bodies as numerous as the immeasurable countless sands of hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, millions of Nayudas of Gandhi's rivers. And each of these bodies in turn manifest different types of forms, numerous as the sands of some hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, millions of Nayudas and Asamkayas of Ganges rivers. And each of these forms in turn manifest forms, numerous as the sands of some hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, millions of Nayudas and Asamkayas of Ganges rivers. Good men, this then is the inconceivably profound realm of the Buddhas. It cannot be understood by persons of the two vehicles, nor can it be gasped, grasped by either Buddhasattvas in the ten stages of security. Only between one Buddha and another can it be fully comprehended. Good men, for this reason, I have stated that this subtle, wonderful, profound, unsurpassed, great vehicle, immeasurable meaning sutra, is true and correct in word and principle, worthy of unsurpassed veneration. It is guarded and protected by all the Buddhas in the three existences. There is no devil host, no congregation of non-Buddhist believers who can invade it, nor can it be destroyed by any erroneous views or accidents of birth and death. If Buddhasattvas Mahasattva wish to gain unsurpassed enlightenment quickly, they should practice and study this profound, unsurpassed great vehicle Immeasurable meaning sutra. When the Buddha finished speaking, 
The major world system quaked and trembled in six different ways. From the sky, various different kinds of heavenly flowers rained down on their own accord. Heavenly Upala flowers, Padma flowers, Kamuda flowers, Pundarika flowers. There also rained down countless varieties of heavenly incense, heavenly robes, and heavenly necklaces, and priceless heavenly jewels that came tumbling and turning through the air and descended as offerings to the Buddha and the great assembly of Buddhasattvas and voice hearers. Heavenly vessels from the heavenly kitchens, heaped and overflowing with heavenly foods of a hundred flavors, heavenly streamers, heavenly banners, heavenly canopies, and wonderful heavenly playthings arranged here and there, heavenly musical instruments played, and songs were sung to praise the Buddha. Then in the eastern region the Buddha of the Buddha worlds, numerous as Ganges sands, also quaked and trembled in six different ways, raining down heavenly flowers and heavenly incense and heavenly robes, heavenly necklaces and priceless heavenly jewels, heavenly vessels from heavenly kitchens, a hundred heavenly flavors, heavenly streamers, heavenly banners, heavenly canopies, and wonderful heavenly playthings. Heavenly musical instruments played and songs were sung in praise of the Buddhas and the great assembly of Buddhasattvas and voice hearers, and the same occurred in the southern, western, and northern regions, in the four intermediate directions, and in the upper and lower regions. <clears throat> in this assembly, 32,000 Buddhasattvas Mahasattva gained the samadhi of immeasurable meanings. 34,000 Buddhasattvas Mahasattva gained countless immeasurable dharanis, and all were able to turn the unregressing wheel of the law of all the Buddhas of the three existences. <clears throat> when the monks, nuns, laymen, laywomen, heavenly beings, dragons, yakshas, gandharavas, asuras, garudas, kimdaras, maharogas, great wheel-turning kings and petty wheel-turning kings, and kings of the silver wheel, the iron wheel, and other kings of wheels, kings of states and princes and ministers, subjects, gentlemen and ladies of the state, and rich men of the state, along with the hundreds of thousands and thousands of followers accompanying them, heard the Buddha, the thus one, the thus come one, preached this sutra. Some gained the heat stage, the peak stage, the foremost worldly stage, and the stage of stream winner, and once returner, of non-returner, of arhat, or of prayatka Buddha. Some gained the Buddhasattva's truth of birthlessness. Some gained one dharani, some two dharanis, some three Dharanis, some four Dharanis, some five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten Dharanis. Some gained hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, millions of Dharanis, and some gained in a Samaka of Dharanis. Immeasurable, countless as the Ganges sands. All were able to acquiesce and obey and to turn to the unregistering wheel, unregressing wheel of the law. Immeasurable numbers of living beings conceive the desire for supreme, perfect enlightenment. The Immeasurable Meaning Sutra, Chapter 3, Ten Benefits At that time, the Buddhasattva Mahasattva Great Adornment addressed the Buddha once more, saying, World-honored one, the world-honored one has preached this subtle, wonderful, profound, unsurpassed great vehicle Immeasurable Meaning Sutra, Truly it is profound, profound, profound. Why do I say so? 
Because in this assembly, when the Bodhisattvas, Mahasattva, the four kinds of believers, the heavenly beings, dragons and spirits, the kings of states, ministers and subjects, and other living beings hear this profound, unsurpassed great vehicle of measurable meaning sutra, there are none who fail to gain Dharani teachings, the three doctrines, four stages, or the desire to attain enlightenment. So we know that this teaching is true and correct in word and principle, worthy of unsurpassed veneration. It is guarded and protected by all the Buddhas of the three existences. There is no devil host, no congregation of non-Buddhist believers who can invade it, nor can it be destroyed by any erroneous views or accidents of birth and death. Why? Because once one hears it, one can uphold all the doctrines. If there are living beings who are able to hear this sutra, they will gain great profit. Why? Because if they can practice it, then without fail they will quickly gain unsurpassed enlightenment. As for those living beings who are unable to hear it, one should know that they will lose great profit for those, for though immeasurable, boundless, inconceivable asamkaya kalpas may pass, they will in the end fail to gain unsurpassed enlightenment. Why? Because they will not know about the great direct way to enlightenment, but will travel perilous byways beset by numerous hindrances and trials. World-honored one, this sutra is beyond comprehension. We beg that the world-honored one taking pity upon this great assembly will broadly expound the profound and unfathomable matters contained in this sutra. World-honored one, where does this sutra come from? Where does it lead to? Where does it abide that it should possess such immeasurable benefits, such inconceivable powers, assuring to the multitude the quick attainment of supreme perfect enlightenment? At the time, the world-honored one said to the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, Great Adornment, Excellent, excellent good men. It is just so, just so, just as you have spoken. Good men, the sutra I preach is profound, profound, truly profound. Why do I say so? Because it assures that the multitude will quickly attain unsurpassed enlightenment. Because once hear, once one hears it, one could uphold it, all the doctrines. Because for living beings, it brings great profit and enrichment. Because practicing it, one travels a great direct way, free of hindrances and trials. Good men, you ask this sutra comes from, where the sutra comes from, where it leads, where it abides. Listen carefully and with attention. Good men, the sutra issues originally from the dwelling and abode of the Buddhas. Its aim is to lead all living beings to conceive the desire for enlightenment and it abides in the practices carried out by bodhisattvas. Good men, this is where the sutra comes from, where it leads, and where it abides. Therefore, the sutra is able to possess such immeasurable benefits, such inconceivable powers, and to assure to the multitude the quick attainment of unsurpassed enlightenment. Now, good men, would you like to hear about the ten inconceivable benefits and powers of the sutra possesses? Bodhisattva Great Adornment said, Please, we wish very much to hear. The Buddha said, Good men, the first is that the sutra can cause bodhisattvas who have not yet conceived the desire for enlightenment to conceive such a desire. It can cause those who are without compassion or benevolence to nurture compassionate minds. It can cause those who delight in killing and slaughter to nurture minds of great pity. It can cause those filled with envy and jealousy to nurture, mind, to nurture minds of joyful acceptance. It can cause those who are begrudging and attached to things to, to nurture minds capable of relinquishing. 
It can cause those who are close-fisted and greedy to nurture minds of almsgiving. It can cause those of abundant arrogance and pride to nurture minds that uphold the precepts. It can cause those much given to wrath and anger to nurture forbearing minds. It can cause those who are indolent and lazy to nurture minds of diligence. It can cause those who are scatterbrained and disordered to nurture minds devoted to meditation. It can cause those with much ignorance and folly to nurture minds of wisdom. It can cause those who are not yet capable of saving others to nurture minds set upon saving others. It can cause those who practice the ten evil acts to nurture minds devoted to the ten good acts. It can cause those who delight too much in the conditioned to strive for minds fixed on the unconditioned. It can cause those minds are given unto regression to cultivate minds of non-regression. It can cause those given to outflows to nurture minds free of outflows. It can cause those with many earthly desires to, to nurture minds that cleanse and extinguish such desires. Good men, this is called the first benefit and inconceivable power of the sutra. Good men, the second inconceivable benefit and power of the sutra is this. If living beings are able to hear the sutra, though they hear only one recitation, one verse, or just one line, they will be able to comprehend and master hundreds, thousands, millions of meanings, so many that although immeasurable numbers of kalpas should pass, they would never be able to experience finish expounding the teachings they have received and upheld. Why? Because the meanings of this teaching are immeasurable. Good men, this sutra may be likened to a single seed from which grow hundreds, thousands, even ten thousands of other seeds. And from each of these seeds, in turn, grow more seeds, numbering in the hundreds, thousands, ten thousands. So they keep on increasing in this way until they become immeasurable. This sutra is like this. From a single law grow hundreds and thousands of meanings, and from each of those hundreds and thousands in turn grow more, numbering in the hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, so that they keep on increasing this way until they are a measurable, boundless number of meanings. That is why the sutra is called Immeasurable Meanings. Good men, this is called the second benefit of the inconceivable power of the sutra. Good men, the third inconceivable benefit of the power of the sutra is this. If living beings are able to hear the sutra, though they hear only one recitation, one verse, or just one line, they are thereby able to comprehend and master hundreds, thousands, ten thousands, millions of meanings. Then, although they have earthly desires, it will be as though they were free of earthly desires, and they will go in and out of the realm of birth and death without thoughts of fear or dread. Toward living beings, they will acquire minds of pity and tenderness, and they, will confer- and they will confront all phenomena with brave and stalwart thoughts. They will be like a young man of great strength who can lift and hold aloft various heavy objects. The person who upholds the sutra will in like manner be able to shoulder the weighty treasure of unsurpassed enlightenment and bear living beings on his back, carrying them out of the path of birth and death. Even before he is capable of saving himself, he will be capable of saving others. 
he will be like a ship's captain whose body is afflicted with grave illness, whose forelimbs fail to function properly, and who remains on his shore, on this shore. But he has a sound and durable ship and can always explain to others the articles needed to get them over the water, so that by providing that so that by providing these, he can ensure their crossing. The person who upholds the sutra will be like this. Though he is aff- afflicted with the body of the one who dwells in the five realms, constantly beset by 108 illnesses, and though he remains on the shore, the, s- the shore of ignorance, aging, and death, yet he will possess this durable great vehicle sutra and measurable meanings which explains how living beings can be saved and how, if one practices it as it directs, one can escape from birth and death. Good men, this is called the third benefit and and inconceivable power of the sutra. Good men, the fourth inconceivable benefit and power of the sutra is this. If living beings are able to hear the sutra, though they hear only one recitation, one verse, just one line, they will be filled with brave and stalwart thoughts. Though they have not yet saved themselves, they will be able to save others. They will become companions of the Buddhasattvas and the Buddhas, and thus come ones. Will at all times turn toward such persons when they expound the law. And once these persons have heard it, they will be able to accept and uphold all of it, abide by it without violation propagate it for the sake of others, and preach it widely in accordance with what is appropriate. Good men, such persons will be like a prince newly born to a king of the country and his queen. When he is one day, two days, or seven days old, one month, two months, seven months old, one year, two years, or seven years old, though he is not yet able to manage the affairs of the state, Already he is respected and looked up to by the ministers and the people. He is a companion to the sons of other great kings, and the king and queen love and dote on him and are forever talking of him. Why? Because he is still just a child. Good men, the person who upholds the sutra will be like this, the Buddhas, who are the king and the sutra, which is their queen joined together in the harmony to give birth to the Bodhisattva's son. If the Bodhisattva is able to hear the sutra, whether it is one line, one verse, one repetition, two repetitions, ten, a hundred, thousand, ten thousand, or immeasurable, countless repetitions equal to the sands of a million ten thousand Ganges rivers, though he cannot fully grasp the extent of its truth, and though he cannot make the lands of the major world system quake and tremble, where the Brahma sounds like the roll of thunder turn the great wheel of the law, already he will be revered and looked up to by all the four kinds of believers and eight kinds of guardians, and he will have the great Buddhasattvas for his companions. He will enter deeply into the secret law of the Buddhas and will be able to expound it without error or omission. He will be constantly guarded and kept in mind by the Buddhas, who will pity and love him, favor and shelter him, because he is new in these studies. Good men, this is called the fourth benefit and inconceivable power of the sutra. Good men, the fifth inconceivable benefit and power of the sutra is this. If there are good men or good women 
who, while the Buddha is in the world, or after he passes into extinction, accept, uphold, read, recite, or copy this profound, unsurpassed, great vehicle, immeasurable meaning sutra, then although such persons are still bound and encumbered by earthly desires, unable to remove themselves from the concerns of the ordinary individual, yet they will be able to manifest and show others the way of the great Buddhasattva. They will be able to expand a single day so that it covers a hundred kalpas, or compress a hundred kalpas into a single day, causing other living beings to rejoice and give wholehearted assent to their words. Good men, these good men and good women will be like little dragons, who, only seven days after they are born, are already able to make clouds rise up and rain to fall. Good men, this is called the fifth benefit and inconceivable power of the sutra. Good men, the sixth inconceivable benefit and power of the sutra is this. If good men or good women, while the Buddha is in the world or after he has passed into extinction, accept, uphold, read, or recite this sutra, then although they are still un- still encumbered by earthly desires, they will be able to preach the law for living beings and enable them to break away from earthly desires, from the realm of birth and death, and out to cut off all suffering. Once living beings have heard them, they will carry out religious practice, gaining the doctrines, gaining various stages, and gaining the ways, just the same as if they had been taught by the Buddha, the thus come one. Suppose, for example, that there is a prince who, although still just a boy, is entrusted with the management of affairs of state, because the king is abroad on a journey, or has been seized by illness. If at that time the prince follows the king's orders and abides by the law in issuing directives to the various clerks and government officials, guiding the flow of affairs in a proper manner, then each of the people of the state will comply with the spirit of his instructions, and the order that prevails will be like that when the king himself is in charge. The good men and good women who uphold this sutra will be the same as this, whether the Buddha is in the world or has passed into extinction. If these good men, though they have not yet been able to reach the stage of immobility, follow the Buddha's methods of preaching and giving instruction when they they expound the law, then once living beings have heard them and single-mindedly applied themselves to practice, they will be able to cut off earthly desires, gain the doctrines and gain various stages and gain the ways. Good men, this is called the sixth benefit and inconceivable power of the sutra. Good men, the seventh inconceivable benefit and power of the sutra is this. If good men or good women, while the Buddha is in the world or after he passes into extinction, are able to hear the sutra and rejoice and put faith and hope in it, greeting it as something rare, if they accept, uphold, read, recite, copy, explain, preach, and practice, as it directs, conceiving a desire for enlightenment, cultivating good roots, nurturing minds of great compassion, and desiring to save all living beings from their sufferings, then although they have not yet been able to practice the six paramitas, the six paramitas will of themselves appear before them. In their present bodies they will be able to gain the truth of birthlessness. Their earthly desires and their sufferings of birth and death will in one moment be cast off and destroyed, and they will ascend to the seventh stage of the Buddhasattva. Suppose, for example, there is a stalwart hero who wipes out the king's enemies. Once these enemies have been destroyed, 
The king rejoices greatly and takes half of his kingdom and presents it to the hero as a, as a fief. The good men and good women who uphold the sutra will be similar to this. They will be the bravest and most heroic of all practitioners. Although, and although they do not seek for them, the six paramitas, those treasures of the law will come to them naturally. Their enemies, birth and death, will of themselves be scattered and destroyed, and they will be enlightened to the truth of birthlessness, which is like receiving half the Buddha land and fief and its treasures as a gift to enjoy in tranquility. Good men, this is called the seventh benefit and inconceivable power of the sutra. Good men, the eighth inconceivable benefit and power of the sutra is this. If there are good men or good women who, while the Buddha is in the world or after he has passed into extinction, are able to obtain this sutra, they will revere and put faith in it as though they were gazing upon the Buddha's body and will not let themselves treat it any differently. They will love and delight in the sutra, accept, uphold, read, recite, copy, and do obeisance to it putting it into practice as the law directs, strictly observing the precepts, firmly preserving, carrying out the paramita of almsgiving, cultivating profound pity and compassion, and preaching this unsurpassed great vehicle, immeasurable meaning sutra, far and wide for the sake of others. If there are persons who have never believed in the existence of sinfulness or blessing, then they will show them the sutra and, employing various kinds of expedient means, will convert them and prevail upon them to believe. Through the authority and power of the sutra, such persons will be able to develop minds of faith, abruptly changing their direction. And once having developed minds of faith, because they proceed with courage and diligence, they will be able to acquire the dignity, virtue, authority, and power of the sutra to gain the ways and gain various stages. Therefore, these good men and women, because of the benefits they gain through being converted, will in their present forms as men and women be able to gain the truth of birthlessness, to gain the upper level, and to become companions of the Buddhasattvas. Quickly, they will be able to lead living beings to success, to purify the Buddha land, and before long, to gain unsurpassed enlightenment. <clears throat> good men, this is called the eighth benefit and inconceivable power of the sutra. <clears throat> good men, the ninth inconceivable benefit and power of the sutra is this. If there are good men or good women who, while the Buddha is in the world or after he has passed into extinction, are able to obtain the sutra, who leap with joy on having gained what they never had before, who accept, uphold, read, recite, copy, and offer alms to it, and for the sake of the multitude, observing distinctions, expound and preach the message of this sutra far and wide, then in one, dist in one instant they will be able to wipe out the lingering guilt and heavy obstacle of their deeds in former existences and to attain a state of purity. Thereafter they will acquire great eloquence, step by step adorn themselves with the paramitas, acquire various samadhis, including the Shuramangama samadhi, enter the great gate of the Dharani teachings, gain the power of 
gain the power of diligent effort, and quickly attain the highest levels. They will be skilled at dividing their bodies and producing emanations of themselves, dispatching them to the lands in the ten direct directory directions to rescue and save all living beings in the twenty-five realms of existence from their dire sufferings, enabling them to all to gain emancipation. This is because the sutra possesses this power. Good men, this is called the ninth benefit and inconceivable power of the sutra. Good men, the tenth inconceivable benefit and power of the sutra is this. Suppose there are good men or good women who, while the Buddha is in the world or after he has passed into extinction, are able to obtain this sutra and are filled with great joy, greeting it as something rare. After they themselves have accepted, upheld, read, recited, copied, offered alms, and put it into practice as it directs, they will also be able, far and wide, to encourage those in household life and those who have left such life to accept, uphold, read, recite, copy, offer alms, explain, and preach the sutra and practice it as the law directs. Because they have the power to cause others to practice the sutra, others will gain the ways and gain various stages. All this will come from the fact that these good men and good women are moved to compassion and have the power to convert others diligently. As a result, these good men and good women in their present bodies will be able to gain immeasurable Dharani teachings. While they are still at the stage of ordinary persons, while they are just beginning, they will find themselves naturally capable of committing themselves to countless asamkayas, of broad resolutions and great vows, demonstrating profound determination to save all living beings, exercising great compassion, rescuing multitudes far and wide from their sufferings, gathering to themselves a mass of good roots, and bringing enrichment and benefit to all, they will expound the moisture of the law, pouring it everywhere to the water, to the dry and barren places. Pouring it everywhere to water the dry and barren places. They will show themselves able to dispense the medicine of the law to living beings, bringing peace and happiness to all. Gradually they will come forth and ascend until they reside at the stage of the clouds of the law. The moisture of their favor will water all places. Nothing will be outside their compassion. They will encompass all living beings who suffer, causing them to enter upon the Buddha path. And because of all this, these people will before long gain supreme perfect enlightenment. Good men, this is called the tenth benefit and inconceivable power of the sutra. Good men, this unsurpassed great vehicle and measurable meaning sutra fully possesses great and marvelous supernatural powers such as these. It is worthy of unsurpassed veneration, for it can only enable ordinary persons all, for it can enable ordinary persons all to attain the stage of sage, leaving forever the realm of birth and death. They will all gain freedom. Therefore, this sutra is called immeasurable meanings. It can cause all living beings who are still at the level of ordinary persons to put forth immeasurable shoots that will grow into the way of the Buddhasattva, to plant trees of benefits that will flourish, to put out branches and spread.
Therefore, this sutra is dubbed the possessor of inconceivable benefits and power. At that time, the Buddhasattva Manasattva Gred Dorman and the others of the 80,000 Buddhasattvas Manasattva, speaking in a single voice, addressed the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, as the Buddha has preached, this profound, subtle, wonderful, unsurpassed great vehicle, immeasurable meaning sutra is true and correct in word and principle, worthy of unsurpassed veneration. It is guarded and protected by all the Buddhas in all three existences. There is no devil host, no congregation of non-Buddhist believers who can invade it, nor can it be destroyed by any erroneous views or accidents of birth and death. Thus, it is that this sutra possesses ten benefits and inconceivable powers, such as have been described. It brings great enrichment and benefit to all living beings immeasurable in number. It causes all buddhasattvas, manasattva, each one to gain the samadhi of immeasurable meanings. Or perhaps they will gain hundreds and thousands of Durrani teachings. Or they will be able to gain the various levels and various types of con- cognition of the buddhasattva. Or they will gain the four-way and four-stage enlightenment of the cause-awakened one and the arhat. The world-honored one in this compassion and mercy has been pleased to preach the law for us in this way, enabling us to gain the great profits of the law. This is most powerful, most wonderful, something never known before. The compassion and favor of the world-honored one is indeed difficult to repay. When they had finished speaking these words, the major world system quaked and trembled in six different ways. From the sky there rained down various kinds of heavenly flowers, heavenly utupa flowers, padma flowers, kamuda flowers, pundarika flowers. There also rained down countless varieties of heavenly incense, heavenly robes, and heavenly necklaces, and priceless heavenly jewels that came tumbling and turning through the air and descended as offerings to the Buddha and the great assembly of Buddhasattvas and voice hearers. Heavenly vessels from heavenly kitchens were heaped and overflowing with hundred heavenly flavors. Merely observing their forms and smelling their aromas was enough to make one feel satisfied. Heavenly streamers, heavenly banners, heavenly canopies, and wonderful heavenly playthings were arranged here and there. Heavenly musical instruments played, and songs were sung to praise the Buddha. Then, in the eastern region, the Buddha world's numerous as Ganges sands also quaked and trembled in six different ways, raining down heavenly flowers, heavenly incense, heavenly robes, and heavenly necklaces, priceless heavenly jewels, heavenly vessels from heavenly kitchens with a hundred heavenly flavors, so that observing their forms and smelling their aromas was enough to make one feel satisfied. Heavenly streamers, heavenly banners, Heavenly canopies and wonderful heavenly playthings were arranged here and there. Heavenly musical instruments played, and songs were sung in praise of the Buddhas and the great assemblies of Buddhasattvas and voice hearers there. And the same occurred in the southern, western, and northern regions, in the four intermediate directions, and in the upper and lower regions. At that time, the Buddha addressed the Buddhasattva Manasattva Great Adornment, and the others of the 80,000 Buddhasattva and Manasattva saying, You should approach this sutra with the profound feelings of respect, practice it as the law directs, 
convert all beings far and wide, and propagate it with a diligent mind. At all times be industrious in its cause, guard it day and night, and enable living beings, each one of them, to enjoy the profits of the law. You will then in truth be showing great compassion and great pity. Use the transcendental power of your vows to guard and protect the sutra, and do not let it be impeded by doubt. In the, in the time given you, you must without fail cause it to spread throughout the Jambudvipa, making certain that all living beings are able to see and hear it, to read, recite, copy, and offer alms to it. Then, as a result, you yourselves will be able quickly to gain supreme perfect enlightenment. At the time the Buddhasattva, Manasattva, Great Adornment, and all the others, the 80,000 Buddhasattvas, Manasattva, arose from their seats and proceeded to where the Buddha was. They bowed their heads to the ground in obeisance before the Buddha's feet and circled around him a hundred thousand times. Then they advanced, knelt on one knee, and all bending all blending their voices in unison spoke to the Buddha, saying, World-honored one, we have been fortunate enough to receive the compassion and mercy of the world-honored one, who for our sake has preached this profound, subtle, wonderful, unsurpassed, great vehicle, immeasurable meaning sutra. Respectfully, we accept the Buddha's charge. After the thus-come one has passed into extinction, we will propagate the sutra far and wide, causing all beings everywhere to accept, uphold, read, recite, copy, and offer alms to it. We beg you to have no concern or fret on that account. We will employ the power of our vows to enable all living beings everywhere to see, hear, read, recite, copy, and offer alms to the sutra and to gain the sutra's marvelous supernatural blessings. At that time, the Buddha praised them, saying, Excellent, excellent, good men. Now, you are true sons of the Buddha. With the vastness of your great compassion and great joy, you can rescue those sunk in profound suffering. Save those in peril. You are fields of good fortune for all living beings. You will act as great and good guides and teachers for all beings far and wide. You are great supports and resting places for all living beings. You are great almsgivers for all living beings. And all the times you will take the profits of the law and distribute them abroad to all beings. At the time, all the members of the great assembly were filled with great joy, bowing in obeisance to the Buddha. They accepted and upheld his teaching and then departed.